Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. John 8, 11. Dear Lord Jesus, you are abundant in grace and rich in mercy. Although we were caught in a whirlwind of sin, destined to die in our brokenness, you chose to save us. Even more, you do not hold our past against us. You have given us undeserved grace and unearned mercy. Thank you, Lord. Praise you for your goodness. Today, we pray earnestly that we wouldn't use this newfound liberty as a license to sin. Rather, we want to live up to our potential, the potential that you've destined us to walk in. By your Spirit, may we march to your heartbeat and live out the calling you have for us, unhindered by vice, habits, and sins. We pray these things would set us apart in a world divided, broken, addicted, and in need of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome to Pray News, where hope is our only bias. Today's news at a glance, major hospitals in Gaza are suspending operations due to Israeli military activities targeting Hamas. Oregon gambled by decriminalizing drugs in 2020. They lost big time. And two volcanoes in two different parts of the world are making headlines for vastly different reasons. Today, we reflect on the power of grace. Grace isn't just meant to be a license for sin. We know that from Galatians 5, 13 through 14. Rather, the acceptance Christ offers us is meant to inspire us, to pick us up out of the dirt so that we can live into our potential. Today, rest in these two truths. One, you are profoundly and unconditionally loved by God and nobody can take that away from you. But two, you're not all that you can be. There's plenty of untapped potential for you to realize. We're glad you're here. We pray today's take on the news leaves you informed and transformed. If Pray News has offered value to your daily routine, we would love it if you left a review. Today's Bible trivia, which prophet actively disobeyed God, hated an entire nation, and never repented for it? Was it A, Samson, B, Jeremiah, C, Jonah, or D, Hosea? Listen to the very end to find the answer. Before we get to today's first story, let's hear a word from these sponsors. Gaza is facing a dire humanitarian crisis, with major hospitals suspending operations due to Israeli military activities targeting Hamas. The situation is rapidly deteriorating as medical facilities struggle with shortages of fuel, medicine, electricity, and the devastation caused by bombardments. Israel's military has intensified its operations in Gaza, focusing on Hamas militants. While Israel has agreed to issue warnings and give time for civilians to escape before each attack, the body count of women, children, and civilians are increasing. Gaza's largest hospitals, Al-Shifa and Al-Quds, have ceased operations due to the bombardment and lack of essential supplies. This has left many injured and ill individuals without access to necessary medical care. Shifa Hospital, one of the main medical facilities in Gaza, is particularly hard hit. Israeli forces allege that Hamas has positioned command centers under and near the hospital, necessitating military actions in the area. The hospital's operations are severely impacted, with reports of premature babies and other critical patients being placed in perilous conditions. The humanitarian response has been broad and vast. Three UN agencies have expressed horror at attacks on healthcare facilities in Gaza, registering at least 137 attacks, resulting in hundreds of deaths and injuries, including among medical staff. Efforts to deliver aid, including from Egypt and Jordan, have been initiated, but the flow of assistance remains limited due to ongoing conflict. And some evacuations have occurred with foreign nationals and injured Palestinians being moved out of Gaza. The conflict has reignited tensions along Israel's northern border with Lebanon as well, involving Hezbollah, other Iran-backed groups like Hamas. Cross-border clashes have also escalated to levels not seen since 2006. 
The humanitarian cost of the conflict is staggering. Palestinian officials report that thousands of deaths, a significant proportion being children, are spreading throughout the region. The spread of disease among evacuees, lack of adequate shelter, food, and water further exacerbate the crisis. The international community has expressed deep concern over the situation, particularly regarding the transformation of hospitals from safe havens into scenes of devastation. The situation calls for immediate and concerted humanitarian efforts to alleviate the suffering of the Gaza population. However, there's also this balancing act of support for Israel, the right to defend themselves, and the evil and atrocities committed by Hamas. As believers, witnessing such immense suffering and destruction, especially in hospitals that should symbolize healing and sanctuary, is deeply distressing. It reminds us of the profound need for peace, compassion, and active efforts to alleviate suffering in the world. The situation in Gaza challenges us to reflect on the teachings of Christ about loving our neighbors, praying for peace, and working toward reconciliation and healing. But these are words. We want to offer prayers. We want to make change. But in so many ways, we feel helpless. So, this is a call for us to remember every human life's value and seek ways, both big and small, in our own communities to help. Where we can do something, let's do something. To make a difference in a world marred by conflict and despair. Yet this conflict isn't without nuance. Israel has its right to defend itself, and the aftermath of war is bound to take a toll on innocence. The goal for us as believers is not to grow cold or callous to these deaths. Rather, be stirred enough to pray, give when appropriate, and focus on our own communities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the midst of strife in Gaza, we pray for peace and healing. Protect those caught in the crossfire, especially the vulnerable without medical care. Guide leaders towards compassion and peace and open paths for aid to reach those in need. Comfort the grieving and strengthen communities in turmoil. Inspire us to respond with empathy and support, remembering your call to love and serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Oregon's pioneering move to decriminalize hard drugs was a significant shift in drug policy, but it's become a subject of intense debate and scrutiny lately. The state's bold experiment, which commenced in 2020 with the passage of Measure 110, aimed to transform the approach towards drug addiction, prioritizing rehabilitation over criminalization. However, recent developments and public sentiment suggest that the policy may not be delivering the anticipated results. Oregon's decision to decriminalize drugs like fentanyl and methamphetamine was motivated by a desire to address drug addiction more humanely. The implementation of Measure 110, which received 58% voter approval, marked a significant shift in the state's approach, offering drug users access to government-funded rehabilitation services instead of incarceration. Despite the progressive intentions, the situation in Oregon cities like Eugene and Portland paints a concerning picture. Public drug use has skyrocketed, with individuals using drugs openly on the streets. This has led to growing dissatisfaction among business owners, local leaders, schools, and even those who initially supported the decriminalization. The visible increase in drug use and its associated social problems have sparked calls for re-evaluation of the policy. A critical issue identified by law enforcement and researchers is the absence of effective incentives for drug users to even seek the government-funded treatment. The decriminalization initiative, while reducing arrests for drug possession, has not significantly encouraged users to utilize state-funded rehabilitation programs. Out of the thousands of tickets issued for drug possession, only a fraction of individuals have sought out help. Oregon has witnessed a sharp increase in fatal drug overdoses, a trend attributed partly to the widespread availability of fentanyl since its decriminalization. The state's overdose rate, alarmingly high, indicates a worsening drug crisis, challenging the efficacy of a decriminalization approach. 
Local businesses and residents have reported a substantial negative impact due to increased public drug use. The situation has created a sense of insecurity and frustration affecting the quality of life, the safety, and the economic activity in affected areas. Police officers express a disillusionment with the current approach, finding little value in issuing tickets that are often ignored by drug users. The lack of visible improvement in drug users' conditions and the limited impact of citations have demotivated law enforcement from actively engaging with any part of the policy. A coalition comprising of city officials, educators, police chiefs, and district attorneys is advocating for the recriminalization of hard drugs. This movement reflects a growing consensus that the decriminalization approach needs reevaluation and possible reversal. Many voters, including those who supported Measure 110, are rethinking their stance. Personal observations of deteriorating situations in the public and increased public drug use have led to a change in perspective, with a majority now supporting the idea of reintroducing criminal penalties for hard drug possession and dealing. There's a sadder casualty in Oregon's drug experiment, and that's the drug users who wouldn't have become addicted if it had been illegal, but are now addicted when it becomes illegal again. For a fraction of drug users who were still deterred by the law, they have sadly become addicted and will now face consequences because of Oregon's misplaced compassion. The downward spiral of Oregon's drug epidemic provides us with a cautionary tale about compassion. It is objectively true that the war on drugs since the early 2000s has been a double-edged sword and proved to be an overly aggressive approach of drug crime. The lack of compassionate rehabilitation absolutely needs to be addressed at the federal and state level. However, enabling ought never to be mistaken for compassion. The story of the woman caught in adultery in John 8 actually comes to mind. A woman was caught in the act of sin and stood condemned by the religious leaders. They brought her before Jesus, wanting him to condemn her as well. But Jesus, with compassion, told her that he didn't condemn her. He loved her and accepted her in her brokenness. However, he also encouraged her to go and sin no more. He wanted her to live up to her God-given potential. Biblical compassion must always be paired with a call to repentance. People must be unconditionally loved while also held accountable for their decisions. This is the balance we must all make in our own lives. But as for the state of Oregon, this experiment with drug decriminalization stands as a significant case study in public policy and its real-world implications. There are some ideals that we hold, but when put into practicality, don't work. The state's experience provides valuable lessons on the complexities of addressing drug addiction and the need for policies that balance compassion with practical effectiveness. As discussions continue and potential policy revisions are considered, the Christian community can offer a unique perspective centered on care, support, and a deep understanding of human dignity while calling people up to be their best selves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for wisdom and guidance for the leaders and citizens of Oregon as they navigate the complex challenges of drug addiction and decriminalization. May they find a balance that promotes healing and rehabilitation, but while also safeguarding communities from the adverse effects of increased drug use. Grant compassion and support to those struggling with addiction, and guide policymakers to create effective, humane solutions that honor the dignity of every individual. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's an interesting one to end our time together. It's a story of two countries, two coasts, and two volcanoes, and two vastly different perspectives. These volcanoes are making headlines for two completely different reasons. Within these stories actually hold deep biblical truths for us to consider, truths about changing seasons, nature, and expectations. A remarkable natural event has occurred near Japan, where a new island has emerged from the ocean. This geographical marvel is a result of an underwater volcanic eruption near Iwo Jima, an island known for its historical significance in World War II. 
This development is not just a physical addition to the Earth's surface, but also offers a fascinating window into the geological process shaping our planet. The island's appearance is the culmination of several undersea eruptions in the region. Scientists are intrigued by this phenomenon as it provides real-time insights into island formation, a process often hidden beneath the ocean's surface and ancient. The ongoing eruption suggests potential growth for the nation of Japan, though its future remains uncertain due to its volcanic nature. Speaking of which, in contrast, Iceland is facing a more daunting scenario with the rising threat of an eruption from the Fagradalsfjall volcano. A state of emergency has been declared and the town of Grindavik has been evacuated as a precaution. The situation is underscored by thousands of recorded tremors and a significant magma movement under the town. The Reykjanes Peninsula, which had been dormant for 800 years, is showing signs of volcanic activity again, echoing eruptions in recent years. Authorities are taking preventative measures to ensure public safety, highlighting the unpredictable and often perilous nature of volcanic activity. These two stories, while both involving volcanic activity, present contrasting narratives of nature's might. In Japan, we witness the birth of new land, a testament to Earth's dynamic and ever-changing landscape. It's a reminder of the planet's capacity for creation and transformation. On the other hand, the situation in Iceland is a stark reminder of the destructive potential of nature, threatening communities and prompting emergency responses. In these contrasting events, we are reminded of the seasons of God's creation, times of giving and times of taking away, times of creation and times of destruction. Just as the new island in Japan represents a season of birth and growth, the impending volcanic eruption in Iceland symbolizes a season of change and challenge. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, we read, To everything there is a season, and a time for every purpose under the heavens. This passage echoes the natural cycles of creation and destruction, growth and decay that are inherent in our world. It reminds us that regardless of the season we find ourselves in, God's presence and goodness remain constant. In the joy of new creation like the birth of this Japanese island, we see God's creative power at work, reminding us of His capacity to bring forth new life and new beginnings. Conversely, in the face of potential destruction in Iceland, we are reminded of our need to trust in God's providence, seeking His guidance and protection in times of uncertainty. These events encourage us to embrace each season with faith and hope, recognizing that through both the giving and the taking, God's love and goodness are ever-present. They invite us to reflect on the transient nature of earthly things and the eternal constancy of God's grace and mercy. Let's finish our time together in prayer. Dear Lord, we stand in awe of your magnificent creation, witnessing both the new birth of a new land in Japan and looming threat of volcanic eruption in Iceland. We are humbled by the power of nature and reminded of the delicate balance of our existence on this planet. Guide and protect those in Iceland who face uncertainty and danger, and bless the scientists studying these natural phenomenon that they might gain insights to benefit our understanding and stewardship of our creation. And every season, may we find reasons to marvel at your works and see your wisdom in caring for this earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today's Bible trivia answer, which prophet actively disobeyed God, hated an entire nation, and never repented for it? Was it A, Samson, B, Jeremiah, C, Jonah, or D, Hosea? It was C, Jonah. The story of Jonah and the whale is cutely portrayed in Sunday school, but his story is actually quite dark. Jonah ran away from God's command because of his prejudice against the nation of Nineveh. When God spared the people of Nineveh, Jonah was angry and bitter. The book of Jonah ends without any record of him actually repenting or changing his mind. Jonah's story is a profound and deep exploration into the grip hatred can have on our hearts. Jonah was a prophet of God, but certainly not a kind or faithful one. But praise be to God that Jonah was used despite his failures. 
Thank you for joining us today on Pray News. It is our aim to be informed and transformed. We pray today that you would proceed with hope, love, and determination to be a force for good. If you've enjoyed this take on the news, consider writing us a review and share your experience. You can now sign up for our newsletter at praynews.com. There you'll find sources to all of our reporting. And be sure to download the Pray.com app to make prayer a priority in your life and experience the Bible in new and exciting ways. God bless.